0: Hi, it's Jill Schlesinger on this episode of Jill on money well how are you gonna stay together if you're always fighting about money it's our episode called marriage and money when they say
1: don't go to bed angry I think that's garbage go to bed angry feel free to go to bed angry have the fight in the morning why would you fight tired don't fight under other you know stressful situations when you have a fight give some respect to it welcome to the
0: Jill on money podcast we are presented by Marcus by Goldman Sachs ah summertime you know what that means for a certain segment of you it means a lot of weddings maybe your own wedding Maybe you are attending a wedding. Regardless, we have a fantastic guest today. Her name is Belinda Luscombe. She's written a book called Marriageology: The Art and Science of Staying Together. So today with Belinda, we are talking about marriage and money. Don't forget to stay tuned after the interview. We've got our special new feature. It's called the Marcus Minute presented by Marcus by Goldman Sachs. And now, our interview with Belinda. You're listening to Jill on Money with Jill Schlesinger. Belinda Luscombe, thank you so much for allowing me to tackle you when you were coming off the air or going. I think you were coming in. I think I was
1: coming in. But by the way, I was delighted to be tackled.
0: Really? Mm, Absolutely. This is how I get some of my best guests. I hang around after a segment that I do. I listen to what's going on. And the woman who produced your segment for CBS This Morning is my dedicated producer. And she told me how much she loved the book. And so she had given me the book fantastic so that's why I'm like I gotta get her on now why are we having you on here because you are the relationship and marriage expert
1: well that's one of the things I write about four-time magazine I write about families I've been doing it for about 10 years once I stopped writing about showbiz and uh, and I'm not an expert on money in fact there's one chapter we'll talk about I'm sure alas that I'm actually very bad at money but uh, I am uh, I have begun to learn about money and marriage so how did you get on this track how did you start covering
0: family relationships like tell us a little bit about yourself first of all we are suckers for a great accent so we tend to just have anyone on who has an accent
1: I'm from the great city of Sydney, Australia, so that's an Australian accent. You're hearing not a New Zealand accent, not a South African accent. Understood. Not a Scottish accent, which I've also been uh, asked about. Mm. And I, my husband won a fellowship to study at Columbia University. He's an architect. And I just sort of started to try and find jobs and eventually lucked into a job at Time magazine, writing about celebrities mostly. I think they thought that I was rude enough that it, I would not be put, uh, put off by having to talk to famous people. And, uh, and then I thought, I do not want to do this anymore for a living. And so I sort of segued into writing about humans of another sort, but the ones that are closer to us. You get off the starlit beat. I do, or the star beat. It occurred to me that famous people, you know, they've practiced what they want to say, and I miss talking to real people, and I find them really interesting. And I also wanted to uh, be helpful. I wanted to do journalism that that would make people's lives better. One of the things I do is review books as a family writer. I get probably two books a week about how to have happy children. We probably get at times three or four books a week, how to be happy in yourself. And you get like one book a year on marriage. And I was like, that's... There's a gap in the market mm. that I could step into, not just the uh, you know the book selling market, but just the knowledge market, because it seems to me that the the relationship that you choose, the one that you have with this this person, it will be one of the longest relationships that you have. You have nothing, you have no biological imperative to be with them. It used to be that if you want to have kids, you had to get married. If you wanted to have sex, you had to get married. If you wanted to uh, if as a woman, you wanted to have a financially secure future, you had to get married. None of those things are true anymore. Marriage is completely optional now. So what has this relationship become? How has it changed? How do we manage it now? And it seemed like we weren't looking at the data on this. And so you did go deep into
0: data, which I love because I'm such a nerd. So I like that you go back and you say, let's let's look at some of this. So tell us a little bit about some of the surprising things that you found as you were covering the beat and researching the book.
1: I think this one of the most surprising things I found was how just very small changes can be transformative. And they're sort of like stuff that almost sounds like common sense, but somebody has actually researched them. One of the interesting studies was if you say thank you to your spouse. I love that. It makes such an enormous difference. Now, on the one hand, that's just good manners. On the other hand, they're your spouse. Like you do things for them. They do things for you. We shouldn't have to be thanking each other all the time. But to choose to say thank you, it has an enormous effect. And I think it's for two reasons. One, the person who's hearing the thank you realizes that or believes that they are not being taken for granted. Um, it is nice to be thanked. Nobody hates being thanked. Nobody, nobody ever goes, well, why did you say that? When you say, if you say thank you, people feel better about themselves. And that's a great thing to do as a spouse. And the other one is when you say thank you for someone, to someone, especially if you are looking for things to say thank you for, you yourself realize uh, this person does stuff. Right. Right. I value value you. I value you. Right. Uh, That's one of the sort of transformative things I learned. You know, we
0: have some research that shows us that a lot of millennials now when they're dating they actually say I don't want to you know hook up with somebody who's got student loan debt or I need to have someone who is financially secure and I think that's so different from when I was growing
1: up like you didn't really think about that they're very attuned to money I think that's true Also, what you've what you have seen in the last 10 20 even 30 40 years is that people who are wealthy and or comfortable get married much more often than people who aren't it tends to be much more an activity that's practiced by people who have college degrees and are sort of set on their path and then they get married as some kind of you know well this is the next sort of step and much less among people whose futures uh, have been made more difficult by the sort of hollowing out of the manufacturing industry
0: and we also know that people fight about money quite a bit it's usually what I found after interviewing a bunch of people it's about that family of origin that a lot of your money habits are formed when you're young so if you grew up with a pretty onerous dad who like kicked your butt and always just made you feel horrible about money years later you say I'm never gonna do that to my kids so I'm gonna give them everything and you become an enabler And if that's in conflict with the way that your spouse has been brought up, that's a tough one to overcome. So what advice do you have for people who find themselves fighting and quibbling about money?
1: Well, I I think the first one is the one that you very, very smartly point out, which is to understand that when you came into your marriage, you already had a relationship and you couldn't get rid of that relationship and that was your relationship with money. The studies tend to show that money fights, they're the most vicious Mm. And they're the ones that get worse over time. Like people usually sort of compromise about stuff. And I think it's you have to understand that money is also something that makes people very alarmed. If, if, you, if you are like not getting the amount of sex you want, you know, that's boring and not fun and joyless, I guess. But it's not like you're going to lose your house or, you know, it doesn't feel so existential. And money is, is a, a, a place where we go for safety and when it's threatened that's why they now talk about financial infidelity, which is where your spouse or partner takes your money and does sort of deceptive things with them because they have betrayed your trust in this very profound way. So I think spouses have to understand that they have a relationship with money, even if they don't. They have brought that relationship from their family of origin, even if your family didn't talk about money, which my family didn't really, you have this kind of attitude towards it. And that your spouses are not gonna be the same so you need to sit down and talk about it not only is marriage like a
0: sacrament if you're gonna do it religiously it is a financial partnership like that is how the government is treating you that to me means you really have to
1: disclose everything full transparency no doubt right absolutely full transparency even if you have terrible horrible debt the debt is now your debt as a couple your partner is taking that on
0: we have many people who will call up and say I'm getting married but that's my wife's debt that's her student loans do you think that's a red flag
1: yes I think it's a (laughs) red flag I think people have to understand what that's what you do when you get married you're both getting in the same boat and whatever current where the current takes you 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 both have to row uh, and I think with debt, and it is it it is one of the biggest problems, uh, financial problems that people argue about. But it can be overcome. You sort of, it's kind of a great pr- project that you could both take on, where you say, okay, we're going to do this and this and this to, you know, overcome this debt.
0: Okay, so let's talk about your own little rounding error of uh, seventy thousand dollars
1: <laughs> only. So Belinda, you had a seventy thousand dollar. Oops. oversight yes do tell so uh, you know I've worked for this company for a long time time magazine and for a while it was Time Warner and you get these things called stock options that mature and of course I'm not paying attention to this I'm paying attention to Robert De Niro or I'm paying attention to the news and I think at one point I got to the screen because some of people were talking about it where you have to exercise your trade to turn your um, options into stock Turning options into stock And I had my mouse, I remember this so clearly hovering over it. And then there was some, I think I even clicked it and they're like, do you want this to, there was some question about what you do with the stock. Do you want money or how do you want to pay for... It was a stupid thing. I can't Taxes even or, yes, or whatever. Anyway, you how many, should we withhold taxes? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know the answer to that question, so I'm not going to do it. And then and then I just got distracted. Meryl and then was, Streep came and around. Then someone came around. And then I went back and went, I've really got to do that. And then I went to do it, and they're like, no, those options have gone.
0: They yeah, expired. They expired. Worthless.
1: A worth from $70,000 to zero although I was talking to some friends about it they go well, I wasn't they were trying to make me feel bad. oh go, it's only after tax you'd tax. have to pay tax and you have to do that it's only 40,000 felt so I like your so description sick. of it yes where it's like I was trying to figure out how I felt it it's like I think you could you could get the feeling if you ask a friend to if you lie on the ground and you ask a friend to climb a little stepladder and drop a bowling ball on your stomach <laughs> That would be kind of what, how it would, and then there's this kind of wish, I uh, really wish someone else had done that, and that hadn't happened, and there's, and there's nothing you can do. I was one of those people like, oh, well, you can just fix it afterwards, you know, this yeah, is, fix right. it in post. Mm. No, no, sir, that's, uh-uh. uh, that was a hard lesson, a hard, hard, and we were not wealthy at the time.
0: Okay, so, full disclosure to the hubby?
1: That's the question. Yes or I no? I mean, yes or no, well, I I was like, oh, boy, and and I, and I you know, my parents were comfortable, his parents were not so you know he has a thing around money his 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 money attitude is different to mine and so I'm like sitting there sort of drumming my fingers what do you do I mean he didn't know about them we don't talk about stock options clearly I mean I could have got away that he would never have known but you would have carried that burden yeah deception generally is bad I think so all right
0: let me give you another rapid-fire so you'd say full disclosure that's Mm -hmm. it that's it okay and Everything with the money. Any other money-related observations you have for love and money?
1: I think there's a sort of open question about whether or not you need a budget. Some people do well with a budget. Some people don't. There are lots of, I thought, very interesting uh, discussions about you know the practicality of it which I'm sure you talk about all the mm-hmm. show do you have a joint do you have a joint with some side money do you have keep separate accounts and people do that differently and for for good reasons but I think whatever works for you talk about it
0: you know what's funny thing that we get a lot is that people will call in and they'll say I'm risk averse and my wife's a big risk taker that's a problem yeah and what I will often say to people is that may be a place where you say hey you know what I'm going to bring in a third party here. I'm going to bring somebody in here and say, like, based on your joint goals and what you really say you want to accomplish, you should have this kind of like your your joint assets look like this. Now, if wife wants to go out and go pile money into Bitcoin and roll the dice, no sweat, but that money is assumed to be zero.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We never count on it. Mm-hmm. And if you want to have some money that's really really safe that's fine but that we put a plan together right, right. where we can satisfy both of you it's
1: a really great idea right yeah. mm.
0: and the other place where we see a big schism is around education right so we have uh, I was just talking to a woman last mm-hmm. night I was down in uh, Philadelphia I was doing an event she said you know what I went to public schools. It was fine for me. And my husband grew up like mainline Philadelphia, only wants private schools. Who's right? I'm like, right? There's no right. What can you afford? She said, we really can't afford to do private high school and private university. I said, okay, well, there's only so many dollars. It's causing friction and they can't get over it. That's where
1: I feel like, okay, let's sit down and budget. If you want to send the kid to private school, I went to private school. My husband went to private school. If you want to send the kids to private school, do them, run the numbers. I didn't send my kids to private school. I sent the, the perfectly adequate New York City public
0: school. They were public, perfectly adequate. And they're fine. And guess where are they in college now? Where it's free. It's free. As you can see,
1: I'm I'm frugal. <laughs> I like that. I can't see that, but I, I'm hearing that. <laughs> yes. But we, where we have that difference in, in my marriage, uh, and I write about this in the book, is that I buy all my clothes from thrift stores. And every single thing I'm wearing right now, with a possible exception of foundation garments, is secondhand. Okay. And my husband, and so I don't, I don't like to spend a lot of money on clothes. Mm-hmm. I love clothes, but I don't like to. My husband is the kind of guy who will walk into a kind of fancy designer, pick a coat that costs like four figures, and walk out and not break a sweat. No, he's like that.
0: Burberry trench coat is, is beautiful. And then
1: he will, by the way, wear that every day for ten years and look sharp as a number two pencil. And I'm like, this. I was like, eh, I don't really like that top I bought, and take it back and, and buy another one. So we have a completely different attitude. And I have to take a deep breath in when he buys a you know a big ticket item like that, and think, how can we afford that? And then think, oh well, he's not going to buy. Anything else now for like a a year or you know several years so it's actually gonna work out this is Jill on money we'll get back to our interview
0: in just a second now if you've been listening to this show you probably recognize that it's me Jill Jill Schlesinger I'm also a certified financial planner a CBS News business analyst and yes the host of this podcast called Jill on money okay today I am here to tell you about our sponsor Marcus by Goldman Sachs despite the taboo money is not only personal it is social Marcus serves up financial tips insights and inspiration to help you get better about your finances and you can join in on the conversation by following at Marcus by Goldman Sachs on Facebook Instagram and LinkedIn or at Marcus on Twitter every follow is a financial step in the right direction you can money and now back to our interview with Belinda Luscombe you know it's interesting because I think that how you fight is a very good predictor of how that relationship is going to last and the experts agree with you oh thank God yes you know it's funny you're not gonna have a relationship with anyone and not fight although mark we don't really fight that much do we lies we very we I get snippy with him sometimes I'll be honest with you he's not he doesn't get snippy with me he's very excellent but this is my work spouse right he manages my whole life we very rarely will fight but I do sometimes I'm a bitch to him I'll be like why did you schedule that <laughs> and he just doesn't he like rolls off his shoulders but right. I do don't I always say thank Good you feet. and sorry I often I'll say not enough <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, it's hard to have a, a, an emotionally engaged relationship and not fight. So give us some ground rules for fighting.
1: Well, when they say don't go to bed angry, I think that's garbage. Go to bed angry. Feel free to go to bed angry. Have the fight in the morning. Why would you fight tired? That's, that's ridiculous. That's brilliant. I love that. So go to bed angry. Sleep it off, man. Don't fight hungry. Don't fight under other, you know, stressful situations. When you have a fight, give some respect to it. Like say, okay, we're gonna, I'm gonna pick a good time to have this discussion. I'm gonna make sure that it's a serious discussion. I'm gonna, you know, the the experts say, say to somebody, okay, I want to talk about something. So you're not, you know, you're not just coming out of the blue when they're already doing something and suddenly attacking them. And not in the car. Not in the car. That's that was a, a really interesting therapist told me that because we don't like things in our peripheral vision. They make us anxious as kind of primates. I so, love that. Yeah. And, and when you when you have a problem, don't say, "Oh, you always or mm-hmm. you never." If you can avoid those two phrases, those are toxic, toxic because you're you're attacking the person, not the problem. So it's if you can. And of course, we're all kind of, you know doing our best our bodies are already kind of churning to say I have a I have a problem with this or I really don't like it when you do this
0: when I think about having um, a fight and you say feeling attacked personally as I am always like worst-case scenario especially because you know I've had a couple of really rotten failed relationships so sometimes when I hear something that feels like attacking I don't feel like oh it's a fight I feel like okay here it is the beginning of the end I've been here before and right. I go I go to the worst possible place
1: you've got to fight and I I use this analogy and not everybody loves it but you know there's two types of fighting there's the sort of ultimate, ultimate fighting championship fighting where you really are in the ring to get that person down and it's it's a kind of a death match And then there's the sort of fighting you see on sort of the WWE where it's like, well, actually what we're doing is we're stomping around a bit and we're continuing a story. Mm. We're we're making an interesting chapter in a story. And when those fighters fight, they actually do go at it, but they make sure that their partner is safe they don't want them to step out of that ring hurt, Mm -hmm. you know. And so you've got to, when you fight, make sure that the person feels safe. It will just be a bit, not not just because you're a nice person, but because it will be a better, more constructive fight and you're more likely to get what you want. And I think that the other key thing is, and you're not always going to, you're not always going to reach a solution and you are going to do some lousy stuff. And so you have to get really good at apologizing
0: I love the apology
1: I love saying thank you and I love
0: apologizing and I say this to mark all the time because sometimes I'll say well why don't you say I'm sorry why you give me that like he doesn't do this I'm just saying that sometimes when I have an interaction with somebody And it's like, why don't they just say I'm
1: sorry? Or like, you know what? That's not going to happen. I mean, we are taught to say sorry from when we are very, very small children. We're taught the form. We're taught when to do it. And we suck at it so bad Mm -hmm. for our entire lives. It's like, why can't we master it? And there's two words that I think if people could just put them out of their mind when they're going to say I'm sorry. Never say I'm sorry if because you're calling into question the person's grievance. Right. So I'm sorry if I offended you is... Absolutely not an apology. Right. I already explained that you offended me. There's no if there. Right. right Are you questioning my? How, how
0: about I'm sorry if you felt that way. Yeah, I'm oh, sorry if you I felt. Put, I'm going to put your head through a window. Right, if you no, say that not to is me. just
1: an. In, that's like red rag to a bull. Enraging. Infuriating. <laughs> do not do that. Just keep your mouth shut. And you, um, it, because then something's wrong with you. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry that something is wrong with you. And you're like, that's not what's going on here. And the other one, if you can avoid, is to say, I'm sorry, but like. Oh. I'm so Sorry, I'm sorry. I didn't close the door, but I, you know, you don't do things, and you're like, no, just you've just completely undone any good work you were hoping to do. Just say, figure out what X is. It's the thing you did wrong, and then apologize for it, and then walk the hell away or, or shut up because it's cost you nothing. Mm. It's a completely free thing to do, right. and and you have made the best move of stopping in its tracks the resentment that could be building up or the unhappiness it's funny that the lessons and backed up by research
0: really do go back to just be a, a human being
1: well I think that's what marriage really is it's this great or a long-term partnership of any kind it's this great experiment in how do you become more human and how do you become a better version of you you know that's by loving someone else it's only in that sort of very close relationship with someone that we can really do this fine tuning it's like okay you can learn to play the cello and you can get really good but it's not until you've been playing it for years and years and years that you get to be like yo-yo ma that you know all the tricks that you can get the real you know the total nuances of it what in
0: researching the book do you think is a myth around marriage ology like what are some of the myths that we just got to throw out
1: well you're not gonna find your soulmate yeah
0: forget you're not gonna, that.
1: just do not even you're not looking you're not looking for a soulmate you know if you if you it'd be like <laughs> you know I'm looking for the one person who will complete me that's that's just garbage you're not looking for that and you're not gonna find that and the person that you choose that you think is that is not gonna be that mm-hmm. you have to become one And they will hopefully become yours. That's something that you grow into. Um, So I think that's a huge myth and sold, you know, because... Romantic love is a beautiful and wonderful thing, and you know is probably like the rocket boosters that get marriages into orbit, right? You need it, but it's it's not going to be like that forever. Um, and there will be moments of it, and and you know some people do kind of keep that alive. But mostly, what you're what you're finding is you're absolutely your best friend, somebody that you can trust and somebody that you will learn from. So that was one big myth that somehow marriage would complete Which is you. why I think some of
0: the dating apps are so funny because it's like, we're going to find you this perfect match. and like, oh, brother, good luck with that.
1: I think it's good to choose wisely. Don't choose somebody who's <laughs> who you wouldn't like if you weren't in love with them. But I don't think you're ever going to find like your other jigsaw piece, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't think you're like a, a, a jigsaw piece with a bit missing and then they're going to complete you. If no. I may
0: therapize everyone for a minute, you complete yourself first. Start there. Then right, we'll see if you right. can find someone else.
1: But even if you don't complete yourself first... You know, go on the journey of completion with right, them. Right. You know, I gave this book to one of my colleagues who's getting married, and she read the first chapter and she goes, It's kind of depressing. And I was like, Well, I, you know, I hate to be that person, but also, by the way, childbirth hurts. So, um, <laughs> It's just it's just reality at Mark's this fiance point. is
0: uh, do any second and, oh, and mazel and tov. so yeah so he, you
1: know, we don't know what's gonna happen there right, but be, right. it's gonna hurt but it's gonna hurt and it's a mess and it's super undignified like you know that this is not a it's a transcendent experience but the wrong sort. Mm. so yeah I think I think we need to be a little bit more realistic about what we expect from marriage um, and it will be great it will be fantastic it is uh, a wonderful uh, thing to attempt and to do and you do have a companion. But you're not going to be in, in like ecstatic love. It's like, you know, uh, I say in the book that marriage is like baked beans. It's shelf stable. You know, you, you, it's there, it's reliable, you can get it out. And what we expect is souffle. Which yeah. is this delightful thing? Souffle doesn't last, no. you, and it's a you know it, yeah, and it's a lot of work. You would not want to be in that. I can't think about anybody else. He's the most fantastic thing in my life. Oh, right. My By God. the way, you never you make... you wouldn't want to be in that time no. the whole time. You're, You're not wouldn't... in your right mind in that state. And you'd never get anything done. Right. And so, you certainly
0: wouldn't manage your money well. Yeah.
1: No. It'd be you'd be blowing it all on you know anything candy and bonbons. I like that. <laughs> a little dose of reality is is great. Um, somebody I, I talked to once said that the secret to staying married is that she and her husband had never fallen out of love at the same time. Oh, that's brilliant. With each other. Yeah. That's good because it is cycles. It's right? cycles. You have life cycles and the kids are do a number on you and everybody go, you know, there's a health thing and there's a financial thing. There's always these struggles. And uh, and the key is that to remi- remember you're a team and sometimes the team wins and sometimes the team loses the important thing is to stay as the team the team is a thing and the team is worthwhile i mean we live in this in this economy now where disruption and failing fast and the pop up and the and the 2.0 these are the things that we think are great and hot and you know everything has to be buzzy and new and sometimes things that are old and have lasted a long time which we don't automatically respect, which I'm, I'm fine with that, but sometimes they're great. Like, I was so moved by how people were upset by Notre Dame just because it had been there for so long. Mm-hmm. And now this thing that's been there for so long has been destroyed. So, you know, old chapels, in my own case, vintage clothes, you know, wines that have aged, you know, those things get better with age. And I think marriage can be, if, if sort of maintained well, one of those things. <laughs>
0: You're listening to Jill on Money. Okay, we're going to move to our new segment. It's called The Marcus Minute, sponsored by Marcus by Goldman Sachs. And this is where we ask our guests a round of questions pertaining to their relationship with money. Today's guest is Belinda Luscombe, the author of Marriageology. You ready for your your rapid-fire response? I'm so ready. Here we go. Start the clock, Mark. What's one word to describe your relationship with money? Dysfunctional what's always worth spending on travel what's the dumbest thing you've spent money on
1: when I got my first book advance I went and bought retail shoes and then they're, they're just deeply uncomfortable
0: what sound pops into your mind when you get a paycheck <laughs> relief <laughs> whose face would you put on the dollar bill
1: oh the dollar bill oh gosh that's so good ah I want to say sigh. Uh, yeah. Mother Teresa's just oh. to remind us you know what this money could really do mm. well then this is great
0: it's your last day on earth and you have a hundred bucks in your pocket what would you do with it give it away Belinda thank you so much for joining us today Such a pleasure to be here well that's it that's the show thanks to Marriageology ology author Belinda Luscombe go pick it up it's got a lot of good pearls of wisdom we drop new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday and sometimes a Friday one as well if you'd like to get on the air to ask your financial question, just send us an email. Ask Jill at jillonmoney.com. Our music is composed by Joel Goodman. Mark Telerio is our executive producer. We're distributed by Cadence 13, and the show is presented by Marcus by Goldman Sachs.